I'm Jeff Saperstein, co-author with Hunter Hastings of the book, The Interconnected Individual, Seizing Opportunity in the Era of AI, Platforms, Apps, and Global Exchanges. As an interconnected individual, you will want to know how cutting-edge thinking can help you design, implement, manage, and enjoy your own individual economy. Today, we're talking with Giovanni Rodriguez, founding partner of the Silicon Valley Story Lab, a media and content strategy consulting firm dedicated to advancing the art and science of storytelling for the purpose-driven enterprise. Giovanni is a consultant, author, and public speaker. We will discuss how to develop an organization narrative from a values-driven perspective, as well as your own professional narrative for social media to improve your own sense of purpose, networking, and reputation. So let's begin. How are you doing today, Gio? I'm good, Jeff. I'm good. Um, I'm actually working from home today. Uh, uh, I have the TV going, uh, just looking at the headlines, uh, trying not to react and trying to stay focused on work. Excellent. Excellent. Well, the headlines are always interesting, but what you have to talk about is, is even better. So we're going to yeah. just jump right in. Um, so you have devoted um, a lot of thinking to stories and narratives, and you've translated it into a business enterprise for yourself in Storyline. Uh, your, your background is in uh, marketing and communications, as well as you've done some work in theater, and you've been able to tie this all together in a wonderful consulting career. So being someone who's a practitioner for yourself, as well as a consultant to others, I'm going to ask you, Gio, uh, to talk a little bit about why are stories and narratives so compelling in a business identity? Yeah, no, I think that's, you know, that's the big question for today's conversation, you know, completely understand. Uh, I want to drop back a little bit, though, uh, to talk about the importance of storytelling generally, you know, for society, what it means for us. And without going into a lot of detail, I, I think there are really three things to look at. One is that culturally, and there's a lot of evidence for this, culturally, we're wired uh, to tell stories for social cohesion. And there's a lot of anthropological research that shows that early storytelling before there was the written word uh, was used to inculcate young members of the tribe uh, to integrate with the tribe. They would tell stories about their origin. They would tell stories about the journeys they've taken together. And it's just a way that people came together. And that's really important about, you know, coming together as we'll talk about that in, you know, in a moment in the business context. Uh, the second thing is that there's a lot of evidence that we're biologically wired, you know, to, uh, to tell stories. And uh, there's a really uh, wonderful uh, corpus of research on uh, the neurological effects of good storytelling. Uh, cortisol, you know, neurotransmitter keeps your attention when a story is well told. Oxytocin, another neurotransmitter is activated when uh, you start to feel some empathy you know, for the hero in the story. And there are a lot of other things. Dopamine is a pleasure, is a pleasure uh, giving a neurotransmitter uh, that gets activated when the story is well told and you're really enjoying it. So it's really interesting to understand that both for, you know, the effectiveness of storytelling, knowing that you're actually, you're, you know, you're really uh, honing in on the, the you, know, you know, the biological 
activity of the body, not just, you know, with the mind, you know, when you're speaking to somebody and telling a good story, uh, but also just some of the uh, unsavory things that uh, storytellers that are not truthful, you know, can, uh, can do, uh, you know, when they're not taking the best approach, you know, uh, to the art and the science of storytelling. And finally, the thing that I, I, I speak about most often to business audiences is that stories are effective in the business context because if you look at the structure of a story, almost all of them are conflict and solution based. And what I mean by that is that all good stories are about the conflicts that the hero uh, very often you know, has to address to get to where he or she wants to go and a solution. And if you think about good salesmanship, good marketing, good communications in general in the business context, it's always conflict and solution based. And the way, you know, we talk about this when giving workshops is look at act one and look at act two and look at act three in a story. Act one is always, what does the hero want? Act two is always like, what makes it difficult for the hero to get what he or she wants? If it's a romantic comedy, by the way, is boy loses girl, girl loses boy, right? No. And then in the third act, it's always like, well, what's the resolution? You know, how did the boy or girl get what he wanted? And in the business context, it's always like, what did the customer want? What made it so difficult? And how did you, as the business you know, vendor, make sure that you know, your customer got what he or she wanted? And that, in the end, in the business context, is probably the most compelling, you know, evidence, you know, for the effectiveness of storytelling or as a, as a, as a way to, you know, communicate. And that usually is what, you know, when, when we've done so many workshops uh, in different contexts, different kinds of organization, and that's almost always the thing that people light up on when, when we're talking. Well, you know, Gio, this is a wonderful insight because it's so uh, normal or conventional for a business to talk about themselves as heroes, what they oh, yes. yeah. to accomplish, what they, why their business is so strong. If they're talking to uh, business analysts, their share prices, their growth, their profits, their mm-hmm. uh, product line. And what you're talking about is reversing this as the client or the customer as hero. And of course, co-creating value with that customer to understand empathetically what the customer problem is and how you are a part of a solution is both humbling and also ennobling uh, for a business story, isn't it? Yeah, I would also say it's more effective. You know, so when you're telling a story, let's, let's again, take an example of a movie. Um, in a movie, uh, there's always someone identified, or it could be a group of people, you know, someone identified as the person that you're supposed to relate to on some level. Right, and it doesn't matter what the gender is. It doesn't matter color of your skin. Uh, you just have to find that person relatable, right? And so that's generally called in, in storytelling language. That's the hero or the protagonist. Now, if you go through the journey with the hero and you start to like see what the real problems are, you know, for the hero to accomplish what he or she wants, there's almost always someone who appears who helps to solve the problem. And what we talk to businesses about is this recognize that you're not the hero in most stories. You can be the hero. This should be a corporate story about your origins, about who you are. But, you know, what you really need to understand is that if you're not the hero, 
you have a role in the story. And in classical fairy tales and mythology, uh, you usually see somebody toward the end of the story who's like a wizard. You know, uh, you know in Arthurian legend, it's uh, Merlin, right? Um, in, uh, in science fiction, it's, uh, it could be like a troll. It could be anyone, really, who just like whispers in the ear of the hero, right? right? And helps, helps, you know, the hero uh, to make a decision for better or worse. And what we say to our clients is, you are the magician. You are not the hero. Understand that they're both important. And the other reason to think about this, uh, you know, in these terms, to like not make yourself the hero, yes, it's ennobling. I, I believe that, Jeff. I think, you know, it is humbling. Uh, but it also uh, gives you an opportunity to tell many stories. If you only tell a story about yourself, how many stories can you tell? If you could tell stories about your customers, you have as many stories as you have customers. And that's really great. In marketing, you know, Jeff, you know, I know you're from that world. Uh, that's a really big deal, right? The customer testimonial, the customer story is always the thing uh, that's relatable to other customers. Because again, who is the audience? You have to relate to the hero. They're not going to relate to you as much as they're going to relate to their peers, right? So that's what we try to get our business clients to to understand there's a little by the way there's a little bit of resistance always when we speak this way um but very often we we see the light bulb go off at some point they say oh my god you're right we're not the hero right <laughs> well you know along with uh, with that wonderful insight geo is the values driven organization uh, as well as a values driven individual i know we're talking about organizational positioning and organizational narrative we're also talking about how one presents one's career or one's vision for oneself mm. as values driven. And you've done a lot of um, work and thinking in values, um, particularly in companies that are focused on their functional attributes and not necessarily on the benefits from a value standpoint mm-hmm. uh, of what they're doing in the world and what they're doing uh, with uh, for customers as part of uh, the common good or in- improving life. Can you talk a little bit about um, values-driven organization and what that means? Yeah, and this will take us outside of the conversation of storytelling for just a moment, maybe, and we can come back to it. Uh, but my, my business partners and I have been looking at a trend uh, that we think is fairly new. It's like it, it, we haven't been watching this develop very quickly uh, it's, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but over a long period of time, I think it's a fairly recent development where businesses are beginning to understand that big social problems are actually good business challenges. And there's a really great quote that we, we like to show in our pitch decks, you know, when we're pitching our own business. Uh, and it's a quote from Peter Diamandis, uh, who's co-founder of XPRIZE, but also Singularity University. And it goes something like, the world's biggest challenges are the world's, uh, you know, the world's biggest social challenges are the world's biggest business challenges. You know, so these are all markets, rather, he says, right? Markets. Right, right. And so what's interesting about that, if you just go back again, you know, this is a fairly recent thing. If you go back maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you heard, uh, you know, a typical business, whether it's a technology company, you know, it could be a consumer packaged goods company, uh, and you talk about social good, and if you're speaking to somebody inside that enterprise, you'd probably be speaking to 
a professional known as, you know, CSR, you know, corporate, you know, corporate social responsibility. And it was really kind of an adjunct of public relations. And what was interesting about that is that it, it really felt like um, the organization that had, you know, CSR was really looking at social good, not as something that was intrinsic to their business purpose, uh, but just something that, you know, helped them build some goodwill, you know, with the community. It was really not part of their business plan. Right, right. Right. Uh, now you're looking at organizations like, and you know, here's an example. They're not a client, so I can mention them. Nestle, which sold off a lot of its uh, candy business in the U.S., you know, and, which is really interesting, you know, because they're, they're trying to focus now on foods that have a lot more nutritional value. And why are they doing this? Is it because they want to look good or is it good business for them? You know, if you look at the trends in nutrition and, you know, the educated consumer, I would argue it's that the latter, it's the latter. And so uh, my business partners and I have been uh, speaking about categories of social responsibility. And the first category is CSR, where, you know, I wouldn't say it's always a green a whitewash. It's, you know, just sometimes just wanting to do something that's good, but that's not intrinsic to your business. Category two is where it is your mission. It's your mission as a business to do this. And I think that's a winning uh, approach because if you can't do something that your entire business can align with, it's ultimately just going, going to be kind of an afterthought, not very well funded, and sometimes just not very effective. And that's you know, kind of a recent thing, and we're very excited about it. Yeah, you know, historically, companies like Patagonia uh, in the clothing business um, and clothing business has usually had a very bad reputation of being very fashion and being very superficial. Patagonia created a positioning for itself as really uh, being a values-driven organization and distinguished itself. I'm sure there are plenty of examples that, you know, you have uh, in your portfolio of exactly that, where a company that has a functional um, role, a function within a field distinguish itself through the values that are integral in the product service, not simply as a philanthropy. No, that's a really good example, uh, Jeff, because they're an older company. They've been around for a while, right? And um, uh, I would say that, you know, there are many more Patagonias now, you know, many more companies that are, you know, leaning toward becoming that kind of a company. And, you know, and I don't say this cynically, I just say that it's not just because they want to do good, it's that it's good business. <laughs> you know, that's, that's good for everyone because you can't run a business just uh, to make people feel good. In the end, right. you, know, you do have to become a, a really solid business. Now, you've done a lot of work yourself on values, your own values, and translating that into your own work. Um, how would you take this and uh, advise people who are looking to align their values, uh, operational values, by the way, not, you know, thou shalt not steal or kill, not those values, but the values of what makes them feel good about stuff that matters to them in, in their work. Uh, how would you apply this to the individual in their own career navigation or creating a, a narrative, a storyline for themselves that uh, includes uh, their own bliss, their own passion, their own focus on what's important to them? That's a really good question, Jeff. Um, I, I'd like to 
give a couple of different examples of how organizations or which not just organizations, just institutions, you know, have looked at personal storytelling for personal development. And one comes to the world of, uh, of uh, community uh, organizing and in politics, you know, and, uh, you know, both you and I live in California, so we we're probably more familiar with this than others uh, because we're just closer to the source. Uh, but several decades ago, Cesar Chavez, you know, uh, United Farm Workers, uh, grew that movement um, in a number of different ways, including uh, bringing people into the organization uh, by helping them develop an identity uh, that was unique, but also that aligned with the organizational principles. And uh, the person, by the way, who helped him with this is uh, Marshall Gantz. And Marshall Gantz, uh, if you're, you know, if you're a political junkie like Jeff and I, <laughs> you'll know the name. But Marshall Gantz was the community organizer for Barack Obama. And um, so the approach that they designed, you know, to, uh, you know, to bring, you know, to recruit people into uh, the movement uh, was to give them an opportunity at the first meetings, you know, that they had with the organization to tell their story. And it gets a little awkward sometimes if you're ever in that situation, because by the way, this is, this was not really unique. Uh, it's been practiced in a lot of different uh, ways, but the idea is that you're given a stage and you're asked to say, what is it that you want to do? What has been making it difficult for you to get what you want? How can we help you? That's a story. Right, that's a story that's tied to purpose. It's an organizational purpose, but right. what I but I think it's really interesting about that is uh, is that it gives you an opportunity to tell your own story in the context of something that's social and pro-social, right? And uh, again, it's been practiced in a lot of different organizations, and I've done it myself. You know, uh, talking uh, to people about so, for example, we're working with a very large technology company right now, and we're talking to engineers. You know, so storytelling for engineers, why, why is that? You know, typically, you know, when you think about storytelling in the corporate context, it's for marketing professionals or sales professionals. Uh, but the truth is, everyone inside an organization is a storyteller, right? Uh, if you're an engineer, you might have direct reports. Uh, you might have to take meetings with uh, your superiors, right? You, you're in dinner conversations with your peers, you know? And so you're always communicating. And again, as I made the argument that the best, you know, format for communication is storytelling because it's, you know, problem and solution based conflict, you know, solution based. Right. Uh, so for that, you know, so one thing we've talked about with the, with engineers inside this particular company is that the company has a platform, meaning the company has a story, right? The story of the company is this so far. If the company has a platform, what's your plank on that platform? What can you own that's unique? That's you. Wow. Very profound. Very profound. I haven't heard that um, metaphor, but it's great. I think you could apply that. You know, I think you could apply that to life. So let's say, you know, you believe in uh, helping to rescue democracy in America. That's a conversation a lot of people are having. You know, regardless of your political leanings, you might actually find that an interesting conversation, right? right. What can you do? What can you do? Yeah. 
right? The movement might have this platform saying, yes, we want to rescue democracy. We think it's in danger because of the following things, including income inequality, cultural inequality, all these different things. What can you do, for example, if you are a lawyer? What can you do if you are a bookkeeper? What can you do if you're an engineer, right? That's one thing. Yeah. But there's another approach. One of the things that's implicit in this is that you have some expertise, that you have some value to contribute, that you have enough expertise that you can be a lawyer, an accountant, a community organizer. And so from a career standpoint, your expertise gives you entree to then really be a part of a team that you can um, together uh, actualize those values. And then the other thing implicit in that is that you're finding a group that's passionate about the same things you are. And one question uh, that you know, Jim Sporo, who we both know, has asked, it's a great question for one's career, is what, what problem or what solution do you want to be a part of finding? And if you're a solutions finder with other people, you will be passionate and you will have a values-driven career because the values of the group are the values, just like you're talking about, uh, of the platform that you have a plank on. That's exactly right, yeah. Um, because another trend that you know, my partners and I have been looking at is the disintegration of communities. You know, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, on all these different planes, like uh, you know, disintegration of, you know, the down, of the downtown in most you know, municipalities. You know, people don't go out and congregate as much. Uh, also, the waning of civic institutions. And, uh, you know, the reality is that you cannot be a happy, productive person if you're not connected somehow to community. You know, and there's a really large corpus of science here as well on what makes happiness, you know. And so you right. cannot be on your own. And so you have to, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, what we're seeing right now uh, is the tribalization of all these communities, right? Uh, but, you know, it just begs the question, you know, is there a shared value that can bring other communities together? But so, you know, when you're thinking of your own personal story, you know, I, I think the opportunity is how does that story fit with a larger community of people so you actually feel connected and unique and professionally, personally satisfied yourself, you know? Yeah, that's a great prescription for professional happiness. Yeah. Um, but one of the expertise that you also have, um, uh, Gio, is social media. And and I'd like to ask you, um, how do you use social media to leverage stories and narratives uh, for companies and individuals for their career objectives? And let's stay with the individual for a moment. So obviously people understand that they should have a LinkedIn profile and you know, they probably should be writing some blogs and the mechanics of social media are kind of well understood. But do you have a, a, an approach that is um, more of a vision and a mission of how to use social media to leverage stories and narratives, given that it's a huge platform for, um, for building your own reputation and your, your own uh, vision of connecting to others? Maybe you could yeah. talk about that. Well, to be honest, uh, Jeff, so I was um, involved in kind of the early days, you know, of, uh, you know, promoting the value of social media. This was back in 2004, Mm -hmm. 2005, when the term was actually first coined, you know, because there were a lot of different things going on back then. Blogging was becoming mainstream. 
you know, and there were other things like RSS, you know, where you can just grab all this, you know, all these feeds, you know, and communicate with people based on what you're learning. And at some point, uh, you know, somebody had to just put it all together and call it something. And I think, I'm trying to remember, I think he was uh, trying to remember the person who, uh, oh, it'll come to me, Jeff, I'll have to write to you later. But several people competed for that honor, like, you know, what to call it. And back then, it was really kind of a very optimistic time. You know, a lot of people saw, you know, that it could help with, you know, democracy, that could actually help people develop their own voices, to uh, develop them professionally. And, you know, we've, over the, you know, the last, you know, 15 years now, uh, I would say that we've seen some of um, the bad stuff too, you know, a lot of it actually, you know, fragmentation, uh, tribalization, and also just, you know, sometimes inappropriate uh, uh, behavior and too much information. Right. You know, so one thing, you know, what we, when talking to business, with businesses, we say uh, to people that are interested in using the social tools is please understand that before there was social media, uh, there was social, right? It was just being yourself, right. you know, like what we were talking about earlier. How do you fit into your community and your, you know, this larger tribe and, or meta tribes, if, you know, if you look at it in a bigger way, you know, people, you know, that believe in democracy should include Democrats and and Republicans, I hope, you know, someday, you know, right. so, you know, so think about, you know, think about that. Where do you fit? And then what's authentic? If you're not the kind of person that just likes to talk all day long on Facebook, you shouldn't be. You really shouldn't be. Uh, maybe it's just developing a proper profile on LinkedIn that expresses who you are. Because the one thing that I still like about social media, despite, you know, uh, the bad, is that it's given people an opportunity to express themselves authentically and uh, get people to understand what is unique and what is their plank. What is it that they stand for? And they can find more people that, you know, are like them um, and connect to causes that really matter to them. But, you know, I think we've, we've gone past the era. And by the way, one of the big problems with social media in the beginning, like in the 2005, all these people signed up to, uh, to, you know, for these blog platforms and like within weeks, they realize, oh my God, I don't have the time to write. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's so they right. stopped. Yeah. And then we started to see shorter forms of it. And uh, when Twitter was born, there were a number of people that reacted saying, this is the lazy web. I said, yeah. no, it's not lazy. It's just, you know, easier for some people, right? And Facebook is ultimate, is the ultimate. It's just so easy. You can just, you know, post photos, you know, and, you know, once Facebook realized that, they grabbed, you know, the company that was going to steal the brand of posting photos, which is called Instagram. You know, so they, you know, it's like, um, my view on this is, look, there's a lot of greatness that can come from these, uh, you know, technology tools for expression. Uh, but the thing to start with is who you are, authenticity. Don't feel any pressure to do anything that's, you know, that's not comfortable and that you think is wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, in concluding this, uh, since I know you so well, Gio, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal that you not only work with businesses, but you are enormously prolific in your writing. Uh, you've written blog posts for Forbes magazine, um, articles. Uh, you share your wisdom. Uh, I encourage everybody to take a look at uh, Giovanni Rodriguez's uh, website. Take a get his Twitter handle, follow him. 
because you, you come up with wonderful articles that we don't have time to discuss. But the other thing that I can reveal about uh, uh, Geo is that you have contributed in, from a values base uh, to nonprofits. You've used your talents in ways for Puerto Rico, for example, um, and uh, have really immersed yourself in the common good in a way that is not necessarily commercial. Can you just talk a little bit about how you see that part of your life, uh, which you are so exemplary in, in, in using your talents for the common good beyond business? Well, well, thank you. For, first of all, Jeff, I'm blushing because I don't really, <laughs> I don't really think uh, of myself that way. But, but, but what I can say is um, that I think in my own journey, my own story, is that as a communications professional, I really just, you know, it's kind of forced to think of myself as my own client at, yeah. at some point. Like, so like, you know, what is my journey? What is it that I really want to do? And, you know, again, I think there's good and bad that's come from the social media revolution. And one thing that I think has been good for me is that it's helped me to explore parts of my identity that were kind of hidden from me, kind of invisible. So mm -hmm. the Puerto Rico thing, for example. Uh, so, you know, I often have to tell the story of my origin when speaking in front of groups because the first thing they see on the PowerPoint is my name, Giovanni Rodriguez. What kind of name is that? Right? <laughs> it's like, where did I come from? It's not an Italian first name and a Hispanic surname. And I, I tell the story of my, my grandfather. Oh, yeah, he came from Italy. He moved to Puerto Rico. He married a nice Puerto Rican woman. They had 13 children and they moved to the Bronx. <laughs> that's the end of the story. You know, it's like he had to, like all, all, all Puerto Ricans in the 1940s, right? Um, so it's really helped me to, you know, uh, quite accidentally, I just got connected to groups um, on social media that were looking at Hispanic causes and then ultimately Puerto Rico. And it's kind of helped me rediscover my identity, that part of my world, because I, frankly, I just didn't identify as a Puerto Rican Really, you know, so I'm Puerto Rican, but, you know, I hardly speak Spanish. And I have to always apologize, by the way, when I speak in front of Hispanic groups. I said, you know, please bear with me. We'll speak in English, okay? And by the way, Spanish is the language of the oppressor. And that always gets a laugh, you know, so like, right, right. <laughs> you know. Uh, so anyway, yeah, uh, that's how I think of it. You know, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're helping people tell their own stories, at some point you have to think about yourself if you haven't done that already. You know, it's, um, you know, what's that phrase, uh, physician heal thyself? <laughs> you know, yes. I had to turn it inward at some point. And I think, it, you know, it's, it's been generally a good thing for me. You know, but I've also, you know, been able to, you know, the same, the same route. I've looked at other things, you know, other parts of my identity, who I am and what I guess. You know. Yes. Well, I, I think that as we're looking at values-driven careers, there's also values-driven life. Yeah. And certainly uh, having being a whole person includes that, which you do for those things that are important. Um, and you, you've certainly done that. Well, in the interest of time, Gio, you and I usually have conversations that last in the hours, but I, I don't want to uh, <laughs> yeah. do that to the people who might be listening to this. So uh, we really appreciate you doing this. And um, I will uh, continue to post things that I see from you. And thank you once again. Thank uh, you, Joe. I really, yeah. It was fun. Uh, let's do it again. Terrific. Thanks. Bye-bye.